opening up Mark's Gospel, and we're going to be reading from chapter 7. And the verses we'll be looking at are verses 31 through to 37. I believe you're a bit more hip than us. Uh, you have the Bibles nicely arrayed along the end of the, 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 the seats. So please take one if you haven't got one. And, um, and I'm sure you're as generous as we are at Inverary. If you don't have one, you can take it away. You know how to bring it back, but you can keep it. All right? So anyway, so with that, we're going to open up uh, God's Word, and we're going to look at chapter 7 of Mark's Gospel, and we're going to be reading verses 31 to 37. It will also come up on the screen. I'm racing, but I'm, I appreciate that I've given the pen drive to the team at this moment, so I'm sure they're on the case. But anyway, let's read. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means, be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. Well, if you may recall, this isn't the first time that uh, Jesus has ventured into the region known as the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, which is a very much a, a Greek culture. Uh, almost, as far as the Jews was concerned, a, a bit of a blot on the landscape. Um, this was meant to be the promised land, the, the land of the people of God, but yet they have a concentration of Greek Hellenistic culture right on their doorstep. And most Jews didn't like it. I suppose to get the sense of the, the cultural and the religious tensions that existed back then, you could perhaps compare it to perhaps today of the whole conflagration when it comes to illegal immigrants moving to the UK and want to impose or have their particular traditions and laws and such established in the UK. Or even possibly the Falkland Islands. Some of us will recall the Falkland War and how it's still an issue of um, division, I'd say, in a politest way between Argentina and the UK. Argentina say, well, this is within our you know, sovereignty, it belongs to us. Whereas the UK would say, well, actually, no, it's ours. <laughs> and we have a colony there. And I'm told that in Stanley, uh, the, the capital town or whatever on Falklands, is more British than Britain itself. You find more Union flags being flown there than you will anywhere in the UK. And it was the same in the Decapolis, in a sense. This was... Uh, a, a remnant of a very deliberate effort to try and Hellenize the whole of the region. This was a, a pioneering uh, attempt to make everywhere Greek. And so you can imagine the tensions that arose. Not only was the Decapolis a, a, a hotspot for Greek culture, 
but also um, polytheism of a morality that no any law-abiding Jude would ever ascribe to. So hence, when we think about Jesus going into the capitalists, it doesn't mean much to us. We can understand for a Jew, for Jesus to be venturing into this territory, would have raised a few eyebrows, at least. But there's something in this. And that Jesus is very deliberate. Because as you say, this isn't the first time he's been here. You know, first time, yeah, we can forgive that. Because we don't know, maybe it was a Jewish man he was going to visit when he went to the Gerasenes and delivered that demon-possessed man. But he quickly left the area again. <laughs> but this seems to be part of a wider tour. And quite a prolonged tour that Jesus has been operating in the northern regions of um, Israel. So I don't think he's just doing an afternoon visit. I think he spent some time in and around Decapolis. And as I say, for any, you know, right respect in Jew, that would be like, Jesus, you really let us down. <laughs> but again, this serves to highlight, and I think there's a lesson in this for us. And that Jesus, and it's this, that Jesus has something for everyone. He has something for everyone. And this is a very deliberate excursion into this region. You see, because for Jesus, there are no no-go zones. As far as Jesus is concerned, there are no people groups or individuals that are beyond the pale or beyond the grace and the love of God. So as Jesus strides down into the region of the ten cities, he is in a very different world. And a group of people whose culture and their lifestyles are really a contradiction of everything that God has stipulated or ordained as right living for the people of God. You know, it's just as easy for us today as it would be for an Orthodox Jew back then to sort of write certain people off. But we shouldn't be surprised by this, but we are because this isn't the first time that God has ever done this. Even if you go way back into the Old Testament scriptures, the book of Jonah, didn't God send Jonah to a people that wasn't his own? Even a people who were in conflict with his people, and he extended to them the same grace he extends to his own people. This isn't anything new. This has always been in the character of God, but it's one of those characteristics we often forget. More often we forget to employ in our own lives, in our own attitudes, and considerations of other people. You know, because it's easy to stand over like the likes of Jonah and other people we see in Scripture and say, oh, they're so insular. You know, they're so uh, you know, exclusive. But we live in the hindsight of the things they learned. But sometimes we still need to be reminded again and again and again, don't do that. <laughs> you know, we love to sing about God's grace and God's kindness. But I think God wants us to model it as well. He doesn't just want us to sing about it as ascribe it to him and then somehow we are immune to it. No, we have to enter into it as well and be as he is. You know, it's funny, Matthew's Gospel, which is a very much was written for a Jewish audience, but yet, right at the beginning in Matthew 4.15, what does it say? The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. You know, this whole region comes under that jurisdiction. Jesus wants followers from the Gentile world 
just as much as he wants them from his own people. It's funny, and it's, it is funny, and I'm sure that God does have a sense of humor, that he chose the most ardent Jew of all to become the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul the apostle. And there's something that Jesus said to him in Acts 18, verse 10. He says, For I am with you, and no one's going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And he's talking about Corinth. This is a Gentile, you know, poster boy, <laughs> poster pick for Greek culture. Imagine Kingswell's isn't any different. You know, Jesus has many people in this place. I don't know how many actual people live in Kingswells, but I'm sure it's a significant number. I don't think all of them are in here this morning. <laughs> you know, each of us, in every site, we have followed the commands of God. We have established the church in a particular place for a particular purpose, and that is to go and discover the people of God. You know, we had the, a men's prayer breakfast yesterday, and I asked the guys, oh, guys, because immediately the following, we were going to do the miracle question uh, in Inverurie. And we have this wee sort of hub. I really put it there as a wee sort of attraction to tease people out and come and do it. It says, we meet at Greg's, and we have a couple of... <laughs> Maybe have a cake. <laughs> but, alas, it didn't work this week. So I found myself sitting at Greg's by myself. But no matter. The lovely thing was that immediately in coming out of Greg's, and I turned left to go up the high street, the first person I met was a young woman called Ellie. Never met her before, and from the conversation we had, I don't think she had any previous knowledge or uh, connection with our church. But yeah, as we had led her through the medical question and, and, and asking her if I could pray for her and pray for some things, and told, it gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with her. And I said to her, Elliot, if Jesus was here in person and asked you, come and follow me, what would you say to him? And I don't know whether you'll be surprised at this or not, but her answer was, yes, I would. And in that moment, it gave me an opportunity to pray with her and invite Christ into your life. And she said, yes. It's funny how it surprises us, doesn't it? You know, Kingswells, Inverurie, Aberdeen, wherever our sites are, there are so many more of God's people sitting and waiting. It's just that they don't know it yet. <laughs> they don't know they're God's people. But when Jesus comes, he identifies them. And he wants us to be in the, in the partner. He calls us co-workers with Christ to go and proclaim the gospel and draw the prodigals in. You know, we have been commissioned by Jesus as a people of God. You know, it wasn't completed by the twelve. And it won't be completed until Jesus returns. But every one of us are called and we need to be prepared to step out of our, our Christian bubbles. You know, our, our cozy, comfy Christian um, gatherings and go to the places where sometimes it is uncomfortable and that could be many places it could be at work it could be at home it could be in the, in the school gates or the gym wherever it is and really you've got something for somebody and Jesus just wants you to share it and before you know it you might be having a Christian brother or a sister joining you here on a Sunday morning that you never knew before we are called to go and invite people into the kingdom of God, whoever they are, wherever they come from. Be deliberate. Be faithful. 
and invite somebody. I don't know if you guys have got uh, plans on doing alpha uh, sooner where you've got one already in the mix. But um, it was, again, it was a lovely testimony. Uh, one of our people in Inverurie, uh, it's a friend she's known for over 12 years. And she just, I don't know what it was, she, I think because we're starting one next week, she thought, oh, I'll just go for it. And she did, she, 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 admit she was a bit scared, and rather than phone her or speak to her, she sent her a text. Text does work sometimes. <laughs> and she said, would you like to come to Alpha? And her friend's response was, why not? <laughs> so, somebody come along to Alpha. You know, God has given us all different ways and means of drawing and inviting people into the community of God. Make use of them. Go for it. See what God wants to do. And don't ever write anybody off. We find that so easy, but Jesus has already proven anybody and anybody can be in his kingdom. In the midst of that, as we go with that idea, I want us to remember as well that Jesus sees people before he sees opportunities. Let me just read to you again from the, the passage from verse 33. He said this, And having taken him away from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and having spit, he touched his tongue. And having looked up to heaven, he sighed, and he says to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the binding of his tongue was released, and he was speaking correctly. You know, this incident, this, this healing, it, it, it reads quite unusual. In one sense, it's the only record that we have of it. It's, it's unique to Mark's gospel, but... The thing that is so unusual, but it's, it's very tactile and very, you know, you're kind of invading my personal space here, Jesus, <laughs> in a way that many of us might feel, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Why is he doing that? Because we know from the scene from Jesus before, he, he only has to give a command from miles away and somebody's healed. So why does he have to be so kind of... <laughs> so, you know, it's so close and personal. But, you know, the oddity that we ascribe to this passage only serves to highlight our ignorance of the situation and the circumstances of this man's life. He's recorded as being deaf. Now, I just want to do a quick survey. If I was to ask you, what would you rather be? Would you rather be deaf or would you rather be blind? If you'd rather be deaf, put your hand up. Okay. If you'd rather be blind, put your hand up. It's funny. It's, it's the same wherever you ask the question, wherever context, whatever. People would naturally always rather be deaf as opposed to blind. But I wonder what answer you get if you were to ask a deaf person that same question. What would their reaction be? You know, um, some of you may know uh, Jude, my wife's mum. Some of you may have met her in the past. Her name's Rosie. And she has a significant difficulty with hearing. Uh, I mean, we can joke and laugh about it. I mean, she's not deaf, but she does struggle at times, specifically when she's in an environment that she loves, which is being surrounded by lots of people. But what comes with that is a lot of background noise. And then that's when she begins to suffer. And, it, and it, I feel for her because I remember after the holiday club, when everybody was all gathered together back at our place, and, you know, it's just the buzz of it. Everybody's yelling, conversations are flying across. I could see her slowly begin to become withdrawn. 
and isolated, which is heartbreaking because she's in the very place where she wants to be, but yet she's finding herself becoming more isolated because of the very fact she can't hear conversations and she can't interact. And so she begins to feel awkward and then begins to withdraw. It's a sad condition. And this is why Jesus is so wonderful. You know, when I think about this man, and I'm only speculating, but I can imagine that the way that most people have had communicated to him before would have been the, the heat of a hot breath against his face. Or maybe being pushed or, you know, angry gestures and frustration being made at him. That might have been the dialogue that he was more accustomed to. But here, in this moment, here is somebody who just seems somehow to be able to empathize and really enter into his world and speak and communicate in a way that nobody else maybe perhaps has ever thought or considered uh, before. You know, the, the, the very act of putting his fingers into the man's ears, I don't think it was a, a violent act. I think it was very gentle. <laughs> I don't think he was trying to syringe his ears or, <laughs> you know, young earwax at his ears. I think it's just a, a visual sign. It's a demonstration saying something to this man that I've come here specifically to heal you. In the same way, that the whole thing about the saliva and the touching of the tongue, you know, most of us would feel like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm all for complimentary therapies, but if somebody came to me with a, a gob in the hand and wanted to bring it to your mouth, I'd say, get lost. <laughs> it's not clear from the passage, but what I think is happening here is that Jesus has probably spat into his hand and he's rubbed the saliva on his fingers, and with his fingers he's touching the man's tongue. To make it more palatable to us, I want you to cast your mind back to when you were a child, or even as you were a parent. And it didn't matter what it was. You know, if you fell, you had a graze, you had a bump, whatever, your mum said, oh, I'll just kiss it better. What? But yet we did it, didn't we? We do it naturally. I said, I'll just get a wee kiss and that'll make it better. I think what's transitioned from then to today is this whole idea of saliva. Certainly in the Greco-Roman world, they believed that saliva had healing properties. They were convinced of it. I don't know whether it was a magical thing or a natural thing, but they were convinced there was something in saliva that had healing properties. What Jesus is doing, again, he's speaking this man's language. He's not speaking in words, he's speaking in actions. And he's communicating something and saying, I am very deliberate. There's, there's no you know, gap between that. I want to heal you. And I want to heal you in a way that you will understand. And very, the very act and deliberate of looking up to heaven and acknowledging his father, this man can read, even though he can't hear, he can read the signs that this is something unique happening here. This is a divine encounter. You know, the very word of God made flesh is about to speak. And when he does speak, he speaks with such an authority that he brings things into being that were never existed before. And for this man, it is completely released. His tongue is released. He's able to hear. He's able to engage in the full gamma of social interactions now with other people the way they never had before. Jesus knows what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. 
There is an illustration here of how deeply personal Jesus is. In a way that he is so attentive to our circumstances and situations in life. You know, he really is like a surgeon. He's an orthopedic. He's a pediatrician. He's a specialist in every sphere, in every area of life. And he deeply knows the infirmities that afflict us in life. And he is the one who is so uniquely qualified to come in and help us. And that's something to remember because we sometimes have this habit of creating in our minds a template. You know, the archetypal type of person that Jesus is interested in. And somehow, it never, we never actually quite fit the mold. <laughs> My issue isn't that big enough for Jesus to be interested in. Or it's far too big for Jesus to be interested in. You know, if we read the scriptures more often, we would see that there are no archetypal person that Jesus is looking for. He's interested in everyone. In every circumstance, in every situation, he wants to bring change and transformation. Another thing is, though Jesus' mission was ultimately global, it was on a universal cosmic scale, it always began with those intimate personal encounters and relationships <coughs> of people having met him and having confidence in him. I mean, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the important things when the immediate things or the seemingly bigger things come to the fore. And there's something that companies and corporations and even churches can struggle with at times. You know, I imagine that somewhere in the distance past when Mr. McDonald uh, started his fast food restaurant, I'm sure he probably stood behind the counter and you got a personal burger from Mr. McDonald himself. And, you know, it's possible and it felt, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? I love the way you're doing this. Uh, I don't even know what his first name was, Mr. McDonald's. But I just love the way you do McDonald's. But before long, it just became a way of doing things. It became a structure. And that sense of personal service, it, it kind of waned a wee bit. And we just see it as, that's just the way McDonald's do things now. We want to be a church. And it's our vision. We want to be a growing worshipping of Jesus followers. And the way that we've done that is we wanted to establish small communities in each location. And we want to keep that sense of intimacy. But yet we want to grow at the same time. And then we know it creates a tension in us sometimes. And it brings with it, you know, the danger of losing that sense of closeness with one another. It's never deliberate. But again, it's just, we want to have a cake and eat it. <laughs> but I wonder if it's still possible to do that. But it's just finding ways around about that so we can keep that sense of closeness and intimacy with one another. Because we know that it's always a danger to build upon something, claiming something that actually we lost that years ago. And it's just a myth now. We're not, we're not, I don't feel a sense of community or belonging. But yet we could be a size of 5,000. <laughs> Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to heal the sick and deliver those who were demon-possessed. Jesus was never consumed by the bigger picture, but it was always prominent in his mind. Every individual was important to him. His life was built upon personal encounters. You know, as we meet here, in one sense it's informal, but it's still formal. I mean, we're, we're gathered as a large crowd. Jesus did speak to large crowds. 
He did have public debates, but most of the dearest things that we we learn and draw from Jesus' teaching were actually the things of personal one-on-one encounters with people. It's something we need to keep in mind. Relationships, how we relate to one another, family and friend and even our enemies is the bricks and mortar of what it is to be the church. You know, I can speak um, as a site pastor, going back to when we first started in Brewery. And you can always look back at the beginning of things with a sense of uh, rose-tinted glasses. And there is a sense of that as well. You know, it was a bit like having a dinner for two, you know, and a very intimate meal, quite laid back. You know, it was just you and me. Let's just wild the night away. This is lovely, isn't it? And we think, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to go back to that? But as you, as you grow... You find more and more seats being pulled up to the table. More conversations are coming into the floor. The, the table is getting bigger. The conversations are getting spread further and further across the table. You know, can you pass the salt? Well, I, I can't reach. Oh, maybe somebody else could pass it to you. That's what happens with family, isn't it? But rather than longing for exclusive friendships, relationships. There is something here where we have the opportunity for our relationships to be more inclusive. You know, just drawing the circle wider. We still love one another, but there's somebody else here as well. Now let's love them as well. Keeping that sense of intimacy, but not keeping it exclusive, but just spreading the love (laughs) and sharing it with everyone. your trust in Jesus. He knows you so intimately. He knows your circumstances in a way that nobody else does. But also trust in the people he's given you. You know, we're not just a series of random strangers sitting here this morning. We're the, the family of God. You are related. You are blood related by the blood of Christ. You know, you're forged by a bond stronger than anything else in this world. So recognize that and lean on it. You know, we're trying to encourage everyone on our site to be part of a small group. If, if you're not part of a small group, can I encourage you this morning to join? It's not out of function or uh, because it makes us you know, feel good or makes, I'm talking as a site pastor, make me feel good. You know, like, hey, we've got everybody in a small group. No, it's about being part of a close group of friends and family. And just like the people who brought this man to Jesus, they can have faith for you when you don't have faith. They can bring you to Jesus when you don't have the strength. They can lift you up. We can carry one another's burdens. You know, in closing... The reaction that is delivered by the people following what Jesus did, it's, it's a funny kind of phrase. I don't know why I, I find it kind of unusual. I don't know, maybe I was expecting something else, but they say, he does everything well. Yeah, yeah, I suppose he does, doesn't he? <laughs> He has done everything well, they said. He he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
And that in itself is my closing point. He really does do everything well. You know, I think we can all recall some kind of DIY disaster of some shape or form. I've got a few of my own. (laughs) I'm glad Jude was in Ellen this morning because he gave me the opportunity to bring something up that I did that she has forgotten lately. Uh, (laughs) But I remember it was was November the 5th. We had some event organized that evening where I had lots of people coming around and uh, we were going to have like soup and bread and whatever that and go off and watch fireworks. But in the course of the day, I decided, oh, because this is the middle of our extension, I was, I was going to put the cupboards back up in the kitchen. But as I was doing that, I thought, oh, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here. Because there was a wee cavity between uh, two of the cabinets, you know, on the wall hanging ones. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could have one of those like, kind of trendy wine uh, racks? You know, you, when you see it in the, the kitchen units, where you've got these little, little slats where you can sit wine bottles on. I thought, oh, I could do that. And uh, so <laughs> I'd taken all the covers off. They were strewn all over the floor and uh, started creating this thing. But the problem was one of my measurements was off. But it had a cascading effect on every drill hole that I'd made in these lovely cabinets <laughs> that I'd made. And as I put it up, it was like, try putting a white bottle on the slide. Oh, no! And this had gone on all day. And Judy arrived home and was like, what the hell have you done? Cabinets all over the floor, wood shavings all over the floor. There was no soup in the hob. There was nothing. So, yeah, we did resolve it. But the thing is, in the end, I did sort of put it together. And it, it, it looks all right. It sort of works. I mean, I've not had a wine bottle fall out and hit me in the head yet, but this is the thing. When Jesus does something, he does it really well. He doesn't just do an okay job where you're left forever frustrated and saying, oh, is this it? He does everything well. You know, this past week, um, every Thursday we have what's called, we call it a staff meeting, but Actually, it's a rubbish name, isn't it? Because it, 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 it's so much more than that. You know, we gather in, in a big circle. And really, it's one of the highlights of the week because we share testimony after testimony after testimony of across all our church of just the amazing, wonderful thing. It's, I'm feeling quite emotional just remembering it. The way that God is able to change circumstances the way that he is so deliberate in affecting the circumstances that we find ourselves in and in people's lives. The way that he heals people. The way that he intervenes in people who are struggling with debt. He really does do the impossible and he does it so well. In a way that no one else ever could. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't Remove yourself from Jesus. Don't remove your circumstances for him thinking, Jesus, I know that this is your kind of area. You, you do that, but you don't do this. He does everything well. Everything well. Uh, and so I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, do you come forward for ministry? 
can I encourage you, whatever your circumstances that you're struggling with or finding yourselves in at the moment, be encouragement from this passage. Jesus knows that you're not going to blind sign them by saying, well, Jesus, I've got this. He's like, oh, really, my He knows. And he wants to be right in the thick of it. He wants to be in the mix. And he wants to do something with that. It's going to bless you and it's going to bless others. Can I encourage you to come forward for that this morning? But also, if there's situations that's got not even anything to do with you. You know, Jesus is impressed by vicarious faith. You know, people who have got faith for somebody else and for their situation. You can stand here on behalf of somebody else this morning and invite Jesus in. You know, and as let, let's stand at the moment just to get ourselves ready for this. You know, when we always put the, the, the invitation for ministry, and I, I can only speak as a site uh, in Brewery, but there's always that, like, it's taking a deep breath. Sometimes we hold back. If you are feeling like that, remember what I was saying, we're family. Take somebody else with you. <laughs> Bring somebody up with you. And if you know a, a, a situation in somebody's life, encourage them and come and stand with them and a sense of family solidarity. Yeah. So why don't we do that just now as we go into a, a time of ministry?